Hey, 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 this is Melissa Wright, and you are listening to Let's Talk with Pastor Melissa Joy. This is the podcast where we take your questions pertaining to Christianity, Jesus, the Bible, God, and we do our very best to answer those questions by the Word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. We do have some questions this week, and we want to get to those questions. I think we're going to answer three or four today. And before we get started answering those questions, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for an opportunity to discuss your word. God, I thank you for an opportunity to openly share and proclaim your gospel message. God, we want to be faithful to your word, the whole counsel of your word. God, we don't want to neglect any part of it. We also don't want to, Lord, pretend to know more than we do. And so, God, we ask for wisdom. We ask for discernment. We ask for leading by your Holy Spirit that we would understand your word better and by proxy understand who you are better. For it is our desire to know you and to love you. And it is our desire to glorify and edify you in all that we do. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's get started. The first question we have comes from Susan. And Susan asks the question, Why do we repent of our sins? Great question. A really good question to start off with. The need to repent comes from a place of Adam and Eve making the decision to disobey God and sin, that is called the fall. Because of that fall, a curse was handed out over humankind. And in that curse, we now who were born after Adam and Eve all have sinned. The word says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are all born with a sin nature. We are not born um, perfect. We are not born into a perfected person we are born with a fallen um, nature and so we have need to repent of that nature you see children from a very early age not needing to be taught how to be selfish (laughs) they're born with that in them Um, you don't have to teach a child to take a toy away from another child they figure that out on their own because that's that's just the way it works because of the fall but because the Lord is gracious he has given us a way to be reconciled back to him through Jesus Christ I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves let's take a look at what the scripture says specifically about repentance first John 1 verses 8 9 and 10 let's let's read that together consequently I'm reading today the New American Standard Bible or the NASB that is the Bible I read from often and study often and today I'm going to be reading from that version first John 1 8 says if we say we have no sin we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we say that we have not sinned we make a liar of his word Uh, and he excuse me make him a liar and his word is not in us hallelujah the word of God so here we see that um, we have all sinned if we say we haven't we're deceived 
That's clearly what these verses are saying. But if we're faithful to confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. I love these verses. This is so promising that we have one who not only forgives us, but cleanses us from unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Now, notice that the word confess and the word repent are not the same word. This verse uses the word confess, but it doesn't say repent. And the definitions are a little bit different. And so I want to take us to a verse that actually uses the word repent. And why is that important, you may be asking? Well, I'll tell you what repent means. Repent means to feel or express regret or remorse about sin or wrongdoing. But repent also means to change our mind, to change our way of thinking. So confessing is one thing, but we literally have to go a step further and not just confess, well, I did it, I did it, this is what I did wrong. But now we need to say, and I truly regret that. I don't want to do it again. I want to change my ways. I want to change my mind so that I'm not one that perpetually does this particular sin. That is repenting. What does the word say about repenting specifically? Let's turn to the book of Acts. Acts 17. We're going to go down to verse 30. And we're going to read verse 30. And this is what it says. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Who is that man, you may be asking? Jesus Christ. God sent his son, Jesus. He um, allowed him to teach and minister. He allowed him to live as a man. He was crucified. He was murdered. He died, yet three days later, he rose from the dead. And the word is saying here that he proved to all men by raising him from the dead. And so what does this mean? Well, it means that one day we will stand in judgment before the Lord, and we have an opportunity now to um, honor what the Lord is declaring. And what is the Lord declaring? Well, it says right here in verse 30, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. That's what that means. That's what it says. So the simple answer to this question, and remember the question that Susan asked, why do we repent of our sins? The simple answer is because God declares that we must do it. God declares that we must do it. We must repent of our sin. Because one day we will stand in judgment. And if we are not those who have done that, we will be judged according to that. That's the simple answer. The long answer is what we've been talking about. That we all have need of repentance. We all have need of forgiveness. We all have need of cleansing. And that cleansing has come through the act and the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Who is Jesus Christ the Son? Let's move to the next question. If you feel like you want some more enlightenment on that, if that wasn't explained well, 
I've got about six other verses here that we could certainly dive into, but I certainly think those first two verses that we've read have been really clear about the Lord's heart. The word is clear about our need to confess and to repent of our sins. You guys, we have to acknowledge that we need a savior. We have to acknowledge we've done wrong. And that's what repentance really is. Praise the Lord. Great question, Susan. Thank you. The next question we're going to tackle today is from Suzanne. And Suzanne asks us, how is God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all at the same time? Wow, that is a big question. So I'm going to, um, I'll read a couple verses, but what I'm going to try to do is I am not a theologian. I'm not a highly educated woman at all. I am um, a pretty simple gal. And so I'm going to try to correlate this question um, with a simple analogy. We know that a tree is a tree. What is a tree? Well, a tree is three parts. A tree is a trunk. It is the root system and it is the branches. You cannot have a tree without all three of those parts. You see, if you had simply a trunk, there would be nothing in the root to get nutrients to keep it growing so it wouldn't be a tree. And if you just had the root, then there would be nothing at the surface to see and you can't have the branches without the trunk and the root. And so the truth is, a tree has to have all three components to still be one tree. The Lord, if you'll allow me to, to compare, is quite like this. We serve one God and one God that has three parts. He is the Father, He is the Son, He is the Spirit. All three of these things are God. All three of these things have a different name. All three of these people, if you will, have a different function yet they are all one God. It's called the triune God. And we serve a triune God that is three parts, yet one God. Hallelujah. I'm getting excited already about that. What does the word say about it? Good question. Well, Matthew indicates and acknowledges the three parts of God in the Great Commission. The Great Commission, um, Matthew 28, 19. Let's read that together. Uh, the Great Commission says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There it is, Matthew in his gospel, the gospel inspired by the living God, is acknowledging that God comes in three parts. There are other areas, there are other parts of the Bible that the, the parts are um, named differently. There are many names of God. There are many names of Jesus. Um, there's even more than one name for the Holy Spirit. But the truth is, in this hour, we see this scripture pertaining to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Bible acknowledges that there are three parts. There's another verse that I want to read quickly about this question. I love this verse. It's 1 Peter 1, verse 2. And this is what it says. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours 
in the fullest measure. Ah, now we see three parts that are actually given functions to go along with the name. We first see that this talks about the foreknowledge of God the Father, God the Creator, God who looked down before the foundations of the world and sees and has a plan and a purpose, God the Father. That is the function, one, one of the many functions of God the Father. And then this verse specifically talks about the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Ah, this is a function, one of the many functions of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, we see that this verse indicates Jesus the Christ and being sprinkled with his blood. Well, we know that Jesus is the Son, and the Son provided the sacrifice, the blood that allows us to have life. The price that was paid for our sin, he literally took the place for our sin to become the bridge to restore a fallen man and a holy God. That's one of the functions of Jesus the Son. So here we see a verse that not only indicates all three parts of a triune God, but it also indicates their functions, some of their functions as well. That's great verse. I love that. I hope that helps a little bit. I realize that's an oversimplified answer, um, but I know that some things we're going to have to be okay not knowing in depth because as someone very dear to me once told me, if the Lord intended for us to know, he would have put it in there in black and white. And a lot of things he did and some things he did not. And some of those inconsequential things we can't allow ourselves to be hung up on. Okay? So I hope that helps. Uh, let's see. Suzanne asked a couple follow-up questions. Um, I want to address those as well because I think we have time. Let's do we have time? We do. We have time. Let's get to those questions. All right. She also asked, what does God, uh, excuse me, why does God love some and not all? So this question perplexed me a little bit. I have to admit to you at first. It maybe took me by surprise. I um, never in my life did not think that God loved all people. I, I was raised in the church. I was raised in a godly family. I was raised hearing the word of God regularly. And it didn't dawn on me, um, you know, when we sing Jesus loves the little children, I think he does. And I thought it was all of them, all of us. Um, when we sing Jesus loves me, he loves me and you and you and you and you. And I never thought for a minute that he didn't love all of us. And then I go back to the word of God and I had to think about this question for a moment because, you know, I don't want to speak in error, especially on the first show. I mean, there's enough people out there that are criticizing and, and looking for a way to criticize the word of God. The last thing I want to do is come up against some highly educated person who's like, well, you misspoke. Listen, I probably will, but it is not my heart to misspeak. My heart is to be right on and as accurate as I can be. I want to accurately divide this word. I want to know it in my heart. I want to live it in my life and I want to share it with you. So if I misspeak, I deeply apologize and ask your forgiveness up front. But, you know, one of the first verses we all learned as children was John 3.16. And we're going to read that. Even though I know that you have it memorized and I have it memorized, I want to read exactly verbatim what the NASB says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16 It does not say, for God so loved a few. 
It does not say, for God so loved only a chosen handful. It says, for God so loved the world. That's everybody. What does that mean, the world? Ah, the world is not for him. There is another king of this world. There is another ruler of this world. There is another little g God, not big G, little g, God of this world. And his name is Satan. He is the devil himself. He is Lucifer, a fallen angel, and he is the prince of the air. He is the ruler of this world. He has dominion because, well, we won't go into that, but he has free reign right now. Now, he has been defeated. Hallelujah. Jesus has overcome the devil, death, hell, the grave. Hallelujah. But the world is not what we would say is in alignment with God. Okay? What does that mean? For God so loved a fallen people before they were restored. That's what that means. For God so loved us while we were yet his enemies that he gave his only son. He didn't just love a few. He didn't just love those that he knew would choose him. He loved the world while we were at odds against him. Before we even knew him, he loved us. And it doesn't say some of us. And listen, again, this may be oversimplified, but boy, I stand on that verse. I don't think God doesn't love somebody. I think he loves us all. I'll tell you something else. 1 John 4.8 says that God is love. Not only does he love, but he is love. He embodies love. Actually, love doesn't come from any other source. True, authentic love only comes from God. And he examples that for us to love one another him and love one another and so it's impossible for us to separate God from his nature to love it's who he is he's a loving God and it's not specific he doesn't love you because you've earned it he loves you because it's who he is and he proved his love for you by providing for you a sacrifice in Jesus by providing for you a savior and a redeemer. It is your choice whether you choose that savior and redeemer and requite his love back to him. He does not make you love him. He does not make me love him. We are born with free choice. We have a free will. We can choose to love him or we can choose not to love him. We are not, however, free from the consequences of that choice. Keep that in mind. But I don't believe for a minute that God only loves some. I think he's a loving God that loves all. And I think his word indicates that as well. Good question, Suzanne. Thank you for asking that. Suzanne also had another question. And I want to finish, I think, today with this question. Was Jesus truly perfect? That was her, her last question. I love this question. This one was not hard for me to answer. Um, Jesus was a man. He was God. He was a man. He's the only person that can be fully God and fully human at the same time. I don't know how that works. Only God knows that. Only he can figure it out. But he was uh, a human, tempted and tried in every way. 2 Corinthians 5.21 states, 
that therefore, by the way, I just love these two verses. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hallelujah. He made him. Who is the him? Jesus. God made Jesus sin who knew no sin. He had not sinned. He had not become sin up until the point where he took upon himself our sin on the cross. And why did God do that? Because of the last question we just talked about. To prove his love for us. Simple answer. He loved us so much. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus, a perfect man who knew no sin, to become our sin. Amen. That's exciting. First Peter also indicates um, this point as well. First Peter 2.22. This verse says, Who committed no sin? Let me just jump ahead so you get the full, the full picture here. Uh, verse 21, 1 Peter 2.21 For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Wow, that that's that's a big verse. Those are big verses right there. I just read three verses to you out of 1 Peter 2. Um, he was called according to this purpose. This was his purpose. And though he committed no sin, the word says, nor was any deceit found in him. And listen, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was spit upon, he was crucified, he was treated vilely, and he never uttered a threat. He prayed for those who persecuted him. He prayed for those who mistreated him. He died for those who mistreated him. Hallelujah, what a loving Savior. What a loving God we serve. So I hope that answers your question, Suzanne. I hope this makes sense to you. I hope this first podcast has given you a taste of what we intend to do every week. So if you have a question, I want to hear from you. You do not have to meet a specific criteria to ask a question for this show. You just have to ask the question. Just get it to me. How do you get it to me? Listen, I'm on all kinds of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can email me directly if you want. Um, you can private message me, instant message me, whatever you want to do. Um, you can follow me uh, or friend request me, uh, Melissa Joy Wright, on all the social media handles. And if you want to email me a question, my email address is Melissa Joy at Becoming Love Ministries dot com and make sure ministries is plural becoming love ministries.com melissa joy at becoming love ministries.com listen it has been my joy and honor to be with you today i hope this has 
um, enlightened you to the word. I hope this has given you some things to think about and meditate on. I hope it spurs you on to prayer. And if you have some questions, some follow-up questions, or you just need some prayer and encouragement, I'm your gal. I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. I want to love you. I want you to know something. You matter to me because you matter to God. We love you. I thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you.